Hey y'all, I'm Reese, and welcome to Making Meaning. Making Meaning is a podcast by the Cohere Collective here to guide you along your path to make meaning in a way that makes sense for you by sharing the making meaning stories of a variety of guests. This week, I am joined by my beautiful, wonderful, lovely mother, Paige Brown. I have already done an episode with my dad. It is audio only, so please head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and listen to that. This episode is just so much fun. I love my mom. (laughs) People always say their mom is their best friend. And growing up, I was like, wow, that's sad that your mom is your best friend. But now I'm like, no, my mom is my best friend. And that is the best thing in the world. So if your mom is your best friend, lucky you. I hope that this episode gives you some insight into me into my life and into mother-daughter relationships. I think that that's a really complicated but beautiful part of who we are and a really important part of making meaning is our family of origin and where we came from. Before we get into the episode, please like this video and subscribe to the YouTube channel if you're new here. They say that saying it is the best way to get it to happen, so please do it. Um, And if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please rate the podcast five stars, leave an honest review or rating. It really does mean the world and supports the work that we're doing here at the Cohere Collective in making meaning. So with all of that being said, let's take a deep breath and get into it. So this looks closer to me than to you. It is a little bit, but I'm usually really loud, but you're kind of loud too, so I'm Well, your voice is just resonant, and normally my voice is too. Like, is it really? Yes. Huh. Like, um, I've always thought I'd come across as really soft. No. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I love you, but no. But I don't really. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know I have a tone that I use, my teacher voice, but well, it's not even when you go into your teacher voice and you like get stern. It's just your normal speaking voice is much clearer and at, like, a specific register that I think I have, too. That It's not that it's deep. It's, like... No, because I don't have a deep voice. It's, like, resonant. That is the best word I can use to describe it. But normally when I'm talking with guests, my voice is so much louder than theirs, Mm -hmm. but yours is not. Based on the way it's reading? Yes, exactly. Okay. So, cool. Hi, Mom. Hi, Reese. How are you? (laughs) I'm doing good. How are you? I'm awesome. Good. It's always funny starting to record podcasts when, obviously, we were talking before this, and we don't normally talk with a microphone, so I feel like... No, we do not. (laughs) It'd be bad if we did. It would be awesome if we did, right? We'd come up with some really awesome things. Yeah, we would. And people would... We we would remember them. Yes. Yes. We forget them, but we would remember them. Right. Well, of course... My lovely mother, you are familiar with the podcast. I am. Um, first and foremost, thank you for You're your welcome. time and being here. Um, but you know what's coming first. What is one thing you're grateful for? Oh, um, <laughs> no, I told you I did not prepare, so... Uh, There's nothing to prepare. I don't know. I, 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 I'm actually really... Th- 
thankful for my health. Hmm. Yeah. That's a good one. Compared to a lot of my friends that suffer, that literally suffer, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm doing great. It's a great one. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Well, it's not poignant, but I am grateful well, for Well, I my think health. that's actually extremely poignant in the sense that I think health is something that's really easy to overlook. Mm. At least for me, I overlook it because I wake up and I'm like, oh, I'm not as skinny as I want to be. I'm not as pretty as I want to be. And I immediately start the day talking bad about my body instead of being grateful for, I have two working legs that can hold me up. True. Two working lungs and a heart that beats on its own accord. And And you can do everything you want to do. Right. Nothing's holding me back from doing anything. And yet I still start the day being mean to my body. So well, you should never, yes. Right, but I... Uh, and we I'm, shouldn't shit ourselves either, so... Right, but that is something I'm working on. But I think that is a really important reminder. Um, second question, what is your story? What is my story? Um, <laughs> so, th- there's so many different ways you can tell your story, right? And probably what parts of your story you're wanting to share right. depends on who your audience is. But I guess I'll just get started and see where it, it leads. That's always a good place to go. Um, I am thinking about your dad's podcast. podcast. Um, so I am the youngest of four children. <laughs> um, I uh, grew up, and I, I guess I was fortunate enough to have tried lots of different things which helped me make choices, but it also hurt me in that um, I learned how much I enjoyed so many different things, Mm -hmm. and that that makes it hard to narrow things down. I think I had a a full childhood where I was extremely busy um, doing sports and activities and dance and singing and, um, you know, busy all the time. Right. Unfortunately, I knew that uh, for college, I worked myself through school, didn't have uh, resources at home uh, for my parents to pay for that, so I stayed at home, but I was okay with that. Living at home was fine. Um, Worked my way through college, met your dad all through college, and even through some of high school, I always coached. If it wasn't um, Little League softball or soccer, it was coaching cheer or drill team, dance. And, um, you know, I wanted to be a lawyer, I thought, but uh, even though I was working practically full-time and in school full-time, I still always had time and made time to teach kids um, dance or sports, whatever. And so I realized, I guess about halfway through university, that I really didn't want to be a lawyer. I'd been working in a law firm uh, for several years. That's how I put myself through school. And the whole idea was I was going to go to law school after I graduated. Um, I was like, you know, but that's not really what I enjoy doing. What I really live for is looking forward to being with kids at the end of the day doing my sports or teaching them dance or doing choreography. So I decided uh, to become a teacher. 
So I changed my major, was an English major, married your dad after college, became a teacher, uh, really enjoyed that. Um, and then I got pregnant with your brother and quit working uh, outside the home, as they say, and work, you know, I wouldn't call it work because it wasn't work, but, but it's, you know, the hardest thing you'll ever love, the army. Um, but in uh, the home and raised your brother and you uh, got my master's in counseling, did counseling for a while. Your dad's mom got sick, so I quit working once again to take care of family and uh, stayed home once again and then uh, went back to work as a dance teacher. So I, I guess the sh that's the short version of so now I am a dance teacher and once again find myself in a teaching position. But um, even, you know, I coached you and Tucker, y'all sports the whole time y'all were growing up and um, never got away from that. So yeah, I guess that's kind of who I am. I guess I see myself as the teacher. Yeah, yeah. a consistency there. Right. A couple things that I'm curious about. Mm -hmm. um, we'll just start at the beginning. Obviously, you started by saying that you were fortunate enough to experience a lot of different things and try out a lot of different things, but that it also made the narrowing down process more difficult. And one of the things that you never tried out in childhood was law, and yet that was still something that you were drawn to. Oh, I see. Um when you were going to make a decision about your adult path. Like sure. That was, you can never practice being a lawyer in middle school. Right. Unless you're like on debate team, but even that is so... And I did do that in high right. school. I did do, uh, and I did it really well, and I think that was the mock Maybe trial thing. I, I, I won awards doing There you go. So, so what was the narrowing down process like? Because I think that's something that, I mean, you know, I struggled with, and I think a lot of people who are very driven, passionate people find ways to be passionate about anything that they're doing. Right. Um, so how do you make that call? How did you make that call, and what is that process like? So I do think it's hard, and I'll say for people like you and I, uh, if, because we're perfectionists, mm -hmm. We're good at everything we try, <laughs> just because <laughs> I am not going to be bad at it. I will not be bad at My it. My ego can't handle being right. bad. Right. I'm gonna. I'm gonna kill this. <laughs> I'm gonna be the best at this. So sometimes it's hard to make the distinction between um, I'm good at it because I really enjoy it, mm. or I'm good at it because I'm really trying hard to be good at it, or I really enjoy it because I'm good at it. That's it's really also, a hard distinction. Yeah. And so that's why um, I think finally, um, I, I think the main driver with me being an attorney um, was I, I really f was money motivated. And I felt um, putting myself through college, um, my brothers and sister didn't have um, that going for them. Uh, I really wanted to succeed monetarily, and that was a way I could see of doing it. And I had aptitude in that. I didn't feel like it would be um, a difficult path for me. Uh, 
being a doctor was not in the cards. I've never enjoyed the sciences. I knew that that wasn't what I wanted to do. And I'd had some success uh, doing legal type stuff in high school. I was working in a law firm and it seemed like an easy, logical path. Yeah. However, the things I was really enjoying doing without getting paid to do it, uh, that I invested my time in was uh, coaching sports and choreography, uh, doing things, and most of those things were outside actually, yeah. and it's physical, it's creative. Um, so kind of I definitely a bunch of different things. It really is. So I've probably heard you say this before, but I don't know if I've ever really latched onto it in this way, I didn't realize that you pursuing um, law was also a money-motivated choice. What mm -hmm. do you think, because now, even though you and dad obviously are extremely hard workers and that has um, afforded me and my brother a privileged life, um, I wouldn't call you money-motivated. Oh, I'm though. absolutely not money-motivated. So why do you think that was such a motivation back then? I think uh, how I grew up, there was some emphasis placed on how money is an indicator or, you know, a scale that reflects success. Mm. Um, that it, it was also probably um, imparted that we don't work for fulfillment, we work for money. Mm. And I didn't put that together until, but actually it was really young when I put it together, actually. Sure, yeah. That, okay, what, what I'm actually looking forward to, what's bringing me joy is teaching, essentially. Because so, coaching is teaching. And yes, I decided, yes. I decided, I'm going to do what makes me feel awesome. I'm not going to do what's going to make me rich. Yeah. And that's so what, what's important to what me. What was that paradigm shift, though? What do you think actually pushed you into that change of mind? Because you know I agree. I was right. raised with that mindset right. because you and Dad agree that um, work, it, ideally, if you're fortunate enough to find this, you should just find a job that pays you for doing what you love. Right. right? Mm -hmm. Like that would be the ideal life for most people mm -hmm. when do you think you figured that out because obviously there's things that you're raised with that you don't realize until you're older and you start doing stuff for yourself that you're like oh that's actually not true right it was just told to me right so what was that moment of realization um you know it's interesting and I've heard you talk about it on your podcast a lot how college is your university years are such years for growth mm -hmm. and you learn so much about yourself. You definitely start separating from your family of origin. Right. You start making the distinction between what you're grown up being taught about the way life is yeah. and what life actually is for you Yeah. and your own um, philosophy on life. And, I think I was pretty young, but maybe not, whenever I started thinking, I don't think about things the way my family thinks about things. Yeah. And 
Um, I don't necessarily need a prestigious job to make myself feel fulfilled and like I'm doing something important. Yeah. That money isn't the thing that makes you feel fulfilled. Right. Or doing something important. Right. Even though I've worked, like your dad, we we both have worked since we could work. Right. And earned money. And money did provide us with opportunity and we were able to do things. I do think that is more of a factor of survival than of motivation for y'all though when I think of that because neither of y'all came from money growing up right um you both had to work to put yourselves through school Mm -hmm. um and so like you said yes you've worked ever since you could but I do think a big part of that was well I do have to provide for myself yeah but you know what working's always been so much fun And, and I don't know if you remember that uh when, when you and your brother were younger, it's like, you'll want to get a job. Working's fun. <laughs> you, you meet people. You, you get spending money that's yours, and you get to choose yeah. how you spend it. And it's such an opportunity for learning, but it also gives you pride. Yeah. That's interesting, though, because I think that I always had that mindset towards, like, I looked at, like, clubs and teams mm. as my job right and I felt a lot of ownership and pride right and like responsibility in that way and like meeting people and bonding with people through that however and we did it through work however you also had the sports I would, thing I and I was involved in a lot of things right in high school um so I, th- I do think that there's a, clubs there's a difference once you inject money into the equation true do you think it is just a much bigger feeling of ownership or is it a function of survival or is it just so I think I'm getting hung up on the on the word survival right I didn't have to work for survival um definitely food on the table blah 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 however if I wanted certain clothes or concerts or whatever yeah that was coming out of my pocket right so I wanted to go to school that was coming well, out of my pocket. But, but even I got like, all the things that I needed. So. Right. But even for, like, saving for the future. Sure. Right? Like, that wasn't something that you had to start doing that much earlier than I did. Well, well and you don't even have to save for your future. I mean, and, and that's not, that's not, that sounds so weird. I do. <laughs> and you should. And you know, you were taught that. Right. For sure. And your dad and I are like... You better start working and saving because when we die, there's going to be a dollar left in the savings account because we're going to spend it all. Yeah. Um, but, of course, that's just silly right? because uh, we're savers and we always have been. Um, but uh, I forget where we were there. I was just thinking about us telling you that you had to work and save your money. Um, but you did have to save for the life you wanted to live. Yes. Nothing was given to... I guess that's what I'm more getting at, is Uh that the early adult life that I have been given was not the early adult life that you or dad were given. True. And that that is a very big difference in, I think, at least in listening to your story, correct me if I'm wrong, um, your relationship with money. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, not that... I don't have 
respect or understanding of the value of the dollar, but I think that our relationship with it, at least from an early childhood age, is very different in the sense that even when I make decisions that are, yes, financial decisions that I'm making for myself and my future, I probably make them with less fear just because of a certain level of um, maybe safety net? I don't know. Fear. I don't know if fear is even the right word for it. But so for me, I, so I, don't, I don't think fear. I think your dad and I have always been such a team that I, I never... I don't think we've made decisions like I've never taken a job because I needed that particular job because it paid the most. Right. I've never had to do that. I more mean like, um, because I do know people that are like that. Right. 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 Where they don't have the freedom to choose. Right. I think I more mean even in the decision to go into law. Mm Mm-hmm. A big motivating factor for that was... It was money. Money. Right. And for me, I'm like, oh, I'll do philosophy and English and acting. Three things that will not make me any money and my parents are paying for that. Well, not directly, uh, but... So you hear what I'm saying, right? But I came to that realization when I was... Young. 20-ish, give or take, where I knew, what am I doing thinking I'm going to go to law school? Because... This is what I really enjoy doing. And I have to say, your dad and I, since we met at such a... Well, I was young. Of course, he wasn't as young. Um, we were both still yeah, young. So, so he's four years older. So he was younger than I am now yes, when we met. Yes, when we met, yes. So I was my freshman year in college. He should have been graduating, but that's another story. Uh, anyway, um, uh, we had so much fun, your dad and I. Uh, we've always had a lot of fun, but um, he, your dad's very driven, and um, where his talents naturally lie in what he really enjoyed doing, I think, make money, right? Yeah. Where my talents naturally lie in what I enjoy doing, don't, Well, it- necessarily. And that has... It's all about societal values. Right. It's not because he's better at what he's good at. No. And and I'm not as good at what I'm good at. Right. Um, uh, But because of society, um, once your dad and I became partners, it was like, I don't have to solely make decisions based on me providing for myself. Right. Because we have each other. And I think that was more what I was trying to get at is that from the beginning of like early adulthood, every single decision you made had to consider providing for yourself. Absolutely. And I think for me, I was more fortunate in the sense that you and dad gave me the luxury of not always having to make the best decision in terms of how can I provide for myself? I can think of, yes, I need to be able to provide for myself, but I can also spend more energy in other... Um, so your dad and I definitely have like, a philosophy you, you that saying? you will always be able to make money yes. as long as what you do, you do it well. It doesn't matter what it is. It. And, and you yeah. should find out 
figure out what it is you're passionate about and make that your career because, you know, there are different standards of success mm-hmm. um, and monetarial, monetary wealth is not the standard your dad and I live by. Yeah. No, and it never has been. But right. I think it's interesting how both of y'all have gotten to that point and raised, well, I don't want to speak for my brother, but I believe those are the values that I was raised with. Right. Um, is that money will come, you will be okay, mm-hmm. you will always be provided for whether because you do have a family safety net or not, if you're good and passionate at what you do, the money will come, you will always find a way, and I think that that almost came from both of you having to work so hard to get there, but then both ultimately making decisions that were partially sacrifices, but partially investing in your own passion and fulfillment. Right, absolutely, I think, yeah. Um, and seeing that that still does pay off. That's where it is. Right. That, right. that really is. You, yeah. Yeah, you're not going... I can't speak for everyone, but I think your dad and I have uh, been really fortunate that uh, we've helped each other make decisions that have ultimately led us to feel fulfilled. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so making decisions that lead to fulfillment, you talk a lot about coaching and, um, the teacher role. Mm -hmm. What do you think draws you to that, to being a teacher, to being... I mean, teacher is such an interesting role because, like you said, teaching is not just in the classroom. Teaching is not just on the field. Teaching is not just being a mom. It is Who you are. I think it's... Right. And it's also a function. It's like a lens through which you approach the world. Right. When did you realize that about yourself and what do you think... How do you think that changes the way you approach people? Because I think you're 100% right that that is part of who you are and time and time again we see that that is the role that you're drawn to right right um so did you ask when I figured that out about myself yeah I guess so when when did you realize like oh I think it was you know when I was 20 years old Mm. give or take I think it was then when it was like wait a minute and, and this, this is kind of this is that because <laughs> I never wanted to be a teacher, and I always told myself, "You're not going to be a teacher," because I had such negative um, opinions of teachers, extremely negative opinions From of teachers. Uh, partly, so I I think I had some teachers that um, I really had so little respect for. Mm. And but more as people than anything, and then that just yes. translated into their yes um, lack of teaching ability, right? Um, I, I the way that some teachers teach, um, you know, you, you get put in the role of being your own teacher, and yeah. uh, so there's that. 
and still being able to read through the book and teach yourself something because your teacher's not teaching it to you or whatever. Um, Just growing up and you end up being the one that's teaching everyone to play the game even though you just read the rules with everybody else, but you're the one that can read it really quick and then teach it. And not everyone can read a book and be able to teach something from a book. Right. So what what do you... Do you think that's an innate quality that you have? I think it probably has to be, right? Because, um... I... So, if you think about teachers, I've always said that there's a couple of great teachers, right? Mm -hmm. There are the teachers that, and I think, um, I'm probably more in this category, that uh, no matter what it is, you can say, teach this, and they're going to be able to teach it, even if they've never done it before. Um, They can just break something down and be able to figure out how to impart the knowledge. Well, it's almost mastery of communication. Right. And, but breaking it down into teachable right. segments, right. right? And so many people that are experts at things um, forget their journey of it and <laughs> yeah. cannot teach it. No. Yeah. They're the worst teachers. Well, you always hear the stories of like, they're just too smart to teach this. And it's like... No, they're just not a teacher. They're just not a teacher. Exactly. It, but you understand where that comes from in right. the sense that... They've become autonomous. so with, much expertise that... But it's not... And you're not a teacher. To me, it's not it the amount of expertise. To me, it's the inability to break it down. Um, I don't think you can become such an expert in something that you can no longer teach well, something. no, right. Because that just is absurd, right? However, I do think there are some people who are maybe really smart that could have, while they were still more in the beginning process, maybe have been better at teaching. Oh, I would say were, probably better. Right. Than they still were not great. Life, but if you're not a teacher, you're not a teacher. Right. And I don't care what an, how much of an expert you are at something doesn't make you a teacher right um and then uh there there are some teachers that are so passionate about their subject yeah and they just want to share it so i love those teachers too Mm -hmm. because they make you excited yes and they want you to learn it yeah they they want you to feel passionate and you want to learn it because it's so awesome how great they feel (laughs) yeah so you want to learn it so, so, you know, there's two types of teachers. There are really just great teachers that make something so easy yeah. because that's their gift. Yes. And then there's teachers that are just so passionate that it excites you. Right. So I, I think those are a couple of different types of teachers. I haven't had a lot of those two different types of teachers. But um, and I think that's one of the reasons why I was like, I don't want to be a teacher these teachers aren't happy with what they're doing. They're clearly not very happy people. Right. <laughs> Why would I want to do that? Right? Yeah. Um, or but then realizing that you've actually repeatedly fallen into that role already and right. you do really enjoy it. And right. And like, oh, I can do this in a different way that is very fulfilling and right. matters a lot. Right. Yeah. Um, and I do think that in my uh, family there was a disrespect of teachers. Um probably came from a lack of, uh, 
how, how do you say this without it coming out um, in a way that is really not what I intended to sound like. Um, may, maybe it's from a lack of opportunity as far as education. Uh, so therefore, they you know couldn't be teachers themselves. They didn't go to college. That wasn't something. My dad went for a year uh, for to be a police officer, but um, not because they weren't intelligent enough, for sure. Just um, maybe an insecurity where they were speaking with teachers that, like, in my using my mom as an example, super intelligent, probably smarter than the teachers. But my mom doesn't have a college degree. Right. You know, she graduated really high in her class, but clearly her life trajectory was graduate high school, go to work, period. You know, she, she worked from the time she was born. So do you think the lack of, so you're talking about the lack of respect for teachers that come from your family of origin. Do you think that that's more of a factor of insecurity for not having been a part of a like higher education pipeline? Yes, absolutely. Okay. And, um, but, but I think it's more of a part of its insecurity. But also maybe lack of understanding because yeah. if you're not in and around academia, I think that there's a lot of opinions about it out there. And as right. someone who's in academia, I also have a lot of opinions about it. Right. But I think it can be really easy to both undermine the role of traditional educational teachers and um, over expect a certain level of quality from all teachers, right? Like, you can fall on both ends of the spectrum right. in the sense that not every teacher is a great teacher. However, all teachers should be respected, and it makes it really hard to uh, hold... Uh, I wouldn't, well, but the, the, profession way, the profession is worthy of respect. All yes. humans are worthy of respect, right? right. Like but you should be able to hold both. This profession is a very noble thing to do, mm -hmm. and you're not very good at it. Right. <laughs> at the and same not, time, not, right? but, but I definitely was raised with the, um, teachers aren't very smart because they're teachers. They would be but doing something else. Those who can't, can't teach, those, those who can't, can't do teach, those who can't teach, like those who can't do it, teach right. it. Um, yeah. I think we're saying the same thing. Yeah. Um, so that was definitely, um, the feel of uh, the attitude toward educators and my family. Have... And therefore, I did not want to be that. I was going to say, do you think you would have fallen into that path, or not fallen, um, gone down that path quicker had that not been the um, attitude. attitude towards teachers and your family? Um, or maybe even just realized your passion for it if that hadn't been the attitude i don't i don't know um maybe <laughs> i mean I, I i could i'd have to really ponder about it um well and also there were so many things you know actually i one thing i've always thought that i probably would have done had it been more encouraged is athletics 
I really could see myself being, I don't know, playing college level mm. sports. And then, of course, women don't have the options that men do as much. But I think I, I would have seen myself if um, the women in my family had been encouraged to play sports. Of course, I did play sports. But um, I think I would have seen myself go more that direction. Right. And that is where I initially started in education, you know, as an English teacher, but I was also a coach, coach and um, doing quite well at it whenever yeah. I stopped. But I think that I just really enjoy um, sports and athletics. Yeah. So I actually think that's probably where hmm. I would have gone. However, probably would have ended up coach right. versus teacher. Well, and I think that both of those things are underpinned by one, the generation you grew up in, but also the um, attitude towards women that your family of origin has that can infiltrate other things. For example, teaching, which is largely considered a female or woman-dominated job, mm -hmm. likely to be more disrespected by people oh, who absolutely. women, right? Right. Um, Whereas athletics, it wouldn't be as expected for a woman to go into right. sports. So I think like both of these things that you're talking about, but there's a there's a there's, there's a, a common theme there. there. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So back to this kind of turning point where you left the journey to law school, decided to pursue teaching as a career and not just as. Uh, a role that you take on in life. Mm -hmm. um, earlier when you were talking, answering directly what is your story, you said directly, and I quote, um, really making your job or career about, quote, finding the things that you live for. Mm -hmm. How do you find the things you live for? Well, what are you doing every day? What, what 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 do you think about when you wake up in the morning? Yeah. And, and when you that's what you're living for. Yeah, yeah. So I guess there's a difference between finding what you do actually live for and what you want to live for, what you should live for. Those are different. Yes. Once should and are right living for right. Are but all finding it, I, I think finding it it's not out there, it's inside, mm. right? So, yeah. so you don't have to go out to find it. It's in you already. So, but you did talk about, this isn't that I disagree. This is just... Oh, uh, you can disagree. Well, no, because I, I don't. I do believe that it's inside you. However, you talked about um, experiencing and trying a bunch of different things. And I do think that trying different things out and putting different things on can help you discover like external things well and you discover what's on the inside and absolutely make you better make you better right. at the things that yes so what would you rec what would you recommend if someone was like well anytime you want to try something i say try it and you know that that was um how you and your brother were raised like yeah. sign me up for this and, and and that's one of the beautiful things about having 
um, resources at home mm-hmm. uh, is you can support your children in their trying anything and everything they want. And if you have the inclination to, um, you know, I want to try a pottery class. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> um, I want to, and I'm sure you have a huge list. I don't have as long of a list of things to put you in. You, you did sewing. I mean, and, and that's, of course, Grandma had already taught you how mm-hmm. to sew. And, um, but you took a sewing class. And because that was your fashion designer uh, and yes, and you did this fashion camp because that it's great. Even if I don't see that's where you're going, it doesn't matter. Yeah, that's that's going to make you uh, more able to experience life more rich, fully, mm-hmm. but also help you hone in on what your passions are, what you like about different things. Um, just gives you a, a fuller, richer life. So it's never wrong to try something. Right. Ever. So what do you think that actual relationship is then between if what you live for, you want to live for, you should be living for is something inside of you that's kind of an internal journey. What is the relationship between that internal feeling and the external experimentation of it? Why does trying things out help awaken different things, realize different things? So I don't know if this answers the question. That's fine. But I was talking to a young lady a while back, and she was in college, and I feel like she was floundering a little bit, not really knowing what she wanted to do. And she said, and of course, this isn't you or anyone you know. Actually, you do know her, but this isn't like... Right, right. right. It's um, not a thinly-veiled conversation. No, it is not. <laughs> not. So just for your listeners, this has... Yeah. And um, she said, uh, you know, I really wish my parents had have let me try acting. And she was 20 or 21, and I looked at her, and yeah. I was like... Do it now. You're a grown-ass woman. Do it. Do it. Yeah. And I was, it sounds so rude for me to say that. You're a grown-ass woman. They're not holding you back. But it's not, I don't think that that's a rude thing. It's a, it's almost like an empowering thing. Right. Just go do it. You don't, no one has to give you permission. No, no. And I say, if you want to try it. You should. There's no reason why you shouldn't, yeah. unless it's illegal, right, or immoral. <laughs> I I don't want you to do immoral things or illegal things. But past that, if you just want to try murder. Maybe not that. <laughs> maybe one. not murder. Maybe not extortion. <laughs> In terms of, I have something I want to do. You literally can. I do think that that's almost a. I, I don't even know what I want to categorize that as because I don't know what to call it, but. So many people fall victim to just never having been told yes. And so, and it's like, yes. You can, you can tell yourself yes. And I do think it's a, a parenting, um, a way of parenting that my philosophy of parenting is very different than other parents' philosophies of parenting. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to, as a parent, open the world and say, you can be anything. Mm-hmm. 
there's nothing standing in your way because there were things standing in my way. Yeah. Well, I think most parents do have things that stand in their way. And if you're not someone who's not a parent. Um, well, well, not as a parent, but as a child, I had obstacles. Well, right, right. But so speaking as someone who's not a parent, yeah, I cannot imagine being a parent who doesn't want to give my kids what I never had. You know? Yes, but so he, here's what's different, and, and I encounter this. I encountered it this weekend when I was with um, a group of a group of friends, and uh, just the way of thinking where parents who Maybe, for example, uh, me growing up, maybe I wanted to be an actor, and instead of saying, well, go out and try that, Paige, it was like, well, why would you want to do that? Not even saying no, but judgment behind it. Yes. Which is different. It's completely different, and it it makes you feel ashamed of even thinking about it. Mm. And so I guess that kind of links in. it shuts down the creative and innovative process of And I do think that probably links in with my teaching thing. Mm. Where, but at 20, I was like. parenting is also a teaching role. Yes. But at 20, I think I was like, well, yeah, they're going to think I'm copping out and going to the easy career. But that's where. When actually it's one of the most noble and difficult careers to do well. Well, right. And um, being a perfectionist, um, everything I try, I really try to do it my best, as best as right? You can, yeah. And um, and I do think I did a good job at it. I truly enjoy it. I still, like I said, I'm still doing it now. Yeah. And um, anyway, uh, but parents who um, impart their judgments on certain things, and you see the children's reaction to the judgment saddens my heart mm. because the world just needs everybody. Yeah. And what every single type of person has to offer, the world needs it. Yeah. And um, we, we shouldn't devalue anybody for the work they do. Yeah. Period. No, no matter what they earn, or well, and that goes back to the the using money as a measure as a measuring stick for success, right? right? It's like, of course, that goes back to the question of, well, how do you measure success? How do you blah blah blah? But like it or not, even if internally or logically you're like, well, I know that money isn't the measure of success, that it's happiness, or your relationships, or blah 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 blah. Um, that's not how society measures. No, it, it must certainly story. is not. You can try as much as you can. But in order to function, part of you has to succumb to, I need to make money in order to be successful. Absolutely. Right. You just have to. Well, and I certainly didn't choose being a missionary. And I I could have gone to a third world country and become a teacher that way. Yeah. And I did not. Well, I do think that that's more complex. It it is. It is. You make less money that way. Um. Because of other moral considerations. However, point heard. Right. Point absolutely heard. Um, yeah. So, pivoting gears a little bit. Okay. From your story mm-hmm. to more general questions okay. of meaning making. Um, at 
actually. I think the missionary thing is a great jumping off point. Um, obviously, you were raised Christian. Well, I say obviously. It's obvious to me because you're my mom. But, mm-hmm. um, well, I said I didn't become a missionary, so obviously there's to... some missionary type. <laughs> so you were just like me, mm-hmm. born and raised in Dallas, Texas, mm-hmm. in the Bible Belt, um, with a... I grew up going to Baptist Baptist church. Church. Yes. Um, But I would say now. Well, it all started when I was 13. (laughs) No, no. True. True. But I remember I I struggled with uh, the Bible and the teaching, the way the teachers taught. I I think that has always been a challenge for me um, is don't tell me how to think. Don't tell me what's right and wrong. And Teach me how to think. Isn't religion just a template of what to think? In a certain sense, I think there's some um, religious teachers that do a really good job Absolutely. of using it as a framework to right. help you think about certain things, which that is, I think, when religion gets it really right, is saying right. these are some jumping off points to think about these moral and ethical questions. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, any religious text is an instruction manual. Mm-hmm. And when you get instructions, you're not supposed to think about them. You're supposed to follow them. So when you say religious text, so... And, and they're not hard, all, right? like, like, they're not all instruction. So, so the Bible definitely has some, especially the Old Testament has... Right. Right. Um, but um, I, I guess where my biggest problem with the religion thing is and it was when I think I was 13 that it came where I finally spoke out in Sunday school and said wait a minute enough is enough <laughs> well, was, and, and at this very moment I cannot remember what it was I know I will later on tonight remember what the lesson was but I, I was like okay what you're saying doesn't make sense mm-hmm. and I was asking for clarity and the Sunday school teacher, and you know, Sunday school teachers are really not teachers. I'm sure some are, and some are actually school teachers that teach Sunday school, blah, blah, blah. Right, right, right. But they're not biblical scholars. You know, they don't have all the they answers. All have in <laughs> right, right. And so, but the way this woman was teaching, um, I just have so many silly stories that are popping into my head, and I have to tell this one, and you know I do tangents, but this one's hilarious. <laughs> so I think I was in fourth grade, and the the teacher said, well, I was listening to the radio, and of course we listened to the radio back then. Right. So she said, I was listening, and this song came on, and it just spoke to me. And it was... I'm so scared. Well, well and you know, and so I, I love movies and music. Always have, even in fourth grade, I had a wide knowledge of music. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said, this song, Jesus loves you more than you could know. And I was like, oh my goodness, that's from Mrs. Robinson, and Mrs. Robinson seduced the child. <laughs> You're like, that is from the graduate. Yes. <laughs> I, I was like, and I'm in fourth grade thinking this. <laughs> that is 
right. So, so, also, so that happened to me a lot was what? like the disconnect. Like that doesn't even, what? But what another poignant example of like this also connects back to what we were talking about earlier with teachers when it's like, I, I, you're supposed to be the one educating me and guiding me. And if someone didn't know the context behind that, it's like, not that that's a bad lesson to take away if you're, Christian and you're like, okay, yeah, it's great to think that the God you believe in loves you more than you can know. That's kind of a comforting thought. It is. However, context is important Mm -hmm. and being educated about what you're teaching is very important. Right. And I think it ties back into having a lack of respect for bad teachers that do a poor job of this. Um, Well, and I know no one probably in that whole entire Sunday school class made that connection, even the adults that were in there. But also, like... But they... Yeah. Right. The... And how that actually turns... A lack of information turns people away. It does. And when you go to ask questions, and the questioning is shut down Mm -hmm. with judgment, Mm -hmm. to me, that makes me think of what you were saying earlier, where it's like, well, I want to try acting. You want to try acting? Right. Like, it being shut down with judgment. Mm -hmm. Um... I think that happens a lot of the time in the church too, where it's like, wait, okay, so but why, yes. why is that the case? And it's like you're questioning, and that and brings us to the story. I remember the story. Oh, the thirteen-year-old. Yeah, yes. One. Okay. Yes. So the lesson was on tithing, and when you grow up uh, in Southern Baptist Church, there's Sorry, that like you, happens once a quarter. Cue eye roll. Yeah. Right. Uh, so you get the once a quarter thing on tithing, and you're supposed to tithe ten percent. And for some reason, some families take that to mean 10% of your paycheck, period. End of story. Do it. That's what you have to do. And um, I always remember thinking, but 10%, how about our time? How about... um, Actually much more valuable resources. and And I remember having all those thoughts whenever I was younger and I really was not being disrespectful when I questioned the teacher. You were just curious. I I really wanted, like I said, some clarity. Please teach me something about this. I'm and the Sunday school teacher. So the teacher's example was, and I kid you not, was Pastor I forget what our pastor's name was, let's just say Pastor Steve said um in church this morning you know this the bible says this and my husband and i do it so you should do it too and i was like wait a minute that's not an explanation no i was like wait a minute i I don't really understand you know let's look at the scripture i wanted to look at the scripture she wasn't even referring to the bible and i think everything should come from the bible and that's the protestant in me it, it shouldn't, you know, we sh- whatever. But, um, it, as, it, as someone who no longer identifies as a Christian, that, that's true. Everything <laughs> should come well, not everything should, but, but you shouldn't. If you're preaching from a text, you should be able to tie it back to the text. It should always go back to that's the Bible. Just logic. Yeah. To me, it should go from, it's from the Bible. And your interpretation of the Bible, lots of interpretations of the Bible. But, but the thing about the tithing, and it was just rubbing me the wrong way. 
And at that age, I knew of families that were struggling Mm -hmm. and still tithing 10%. And I remember telling my mom, I'm pretty sure Jesus would be okay with them buying four new tires to replace the bald tires so they don't kill their children in a blowout on the highway. Right. But in some organizations and that is what a church is. Uh, everyone kind of finds out who is tithing their 10% and who isn't. So it's more important for them to keep up appearances in the church office when the people in your church should acknowledge you need new tires. Yeah. And Nancy, don't give us 10% this month. Put tires And take care of your family. Your family should come first. Well, isn't that the whole charity begins? And charity begins at home. You again, it it all. I really think that like the theme here. Personally, though, Jesus would say, "Put tires on your car." So this ties into something that I wanted to say. Um, The theme that's really coming up time and time again is encouraging questioning. And I think that that was true of our conversation of teaching as well. Mm-hmm. Because really bad teachers shut down questioning. Um, and especially the teachers that make you be your own teacher, you're just trying to like check the box to get through it, right? But people who see the lens, approach life with the lens of being a teacher, right. like you said, as a parent, you wanted to open up the world to me and my brother. Mm-hmm. You wanted us to be curious. You wanted us to explore. You wanted us to ask questions. Right. That's what a teacher's role should be. Right. And I think in terms of the education system and academia, mm-hmm. that's exactly what we were talking about. Now in terms of the church and religion, that's what you should want. The Bible. If we're well, the Bible, right? Says, and we, we used to t- we used to talk about that when you were younger. It's and good to question. Jesus says to question, but also it's Jesus. And what is Jesus if not a teacher? Right. That's what he absolutely yes. sees the world through helping others. What is However, faith without questioning? It's meaningless. Well, it's not faith by the very definition. Right. Faith is belief without proof. Right. right? Um, but. Jesus is not the teacher that tells you how it is. He is the teacher that wants you to be curious and stay open. Right. And so I think that this idea that questioning will always be good mm-hmm. is so important. And that there should not be any judgment around it is also so important. And if I'm now I'm like reflecting back on our whole conversation, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but that really feels like a theme from you telling your story is time and time again having been told through judgment stop questioning right stop or exploring. even or even being lied to um asking to make a, it easier to shut it down asking right? a question and then instead of being, modeling how to it, say i don't know i don't know let's find, let's out. find out being told a lie and then thinking this lie is the truth yeah. only for it to come out in a very embarrassing way that someone you really trusted lied to you. Yeah. And not a jokey thing, like you're laughing about. <laughs> you know exactly what Not I a jokey you know. thing, because that, that wasn't meant to hurt you. No, I know. Um, well, and every... Okay, so now we have to tell the story. So there were several things that you were lied to about as a child, mm-hmm. which 
did come back to really hurt you. Right. Um, this story that now we tell in a joking way about something that I was lied to about is that my mom, who was born in 1969, mm-hmm. <laughs> not to put your age on no, last. No, I don't care. <laughs> um, oh, goodness. Summer of Love. Okay. Summer of Love. Um, but told me that the song Pretty Woman by Roy Orbison was written by her, and I loved that song as a child. It wasn't written by me. Oh, no, sorry, it was written about you. Yes. Um, that Roy Orbison saw the most beautiful woman walking down the street. Goodness, there's a lot of sirens. I hope some everyone's okay. Well, and this, it's going to make me sound so vain, and I'm not. No, you're not. But saw <laughs> the most beautiful woman walking down the street, and it was you, and he wrote a song. And, I, of course, I tell everyone that I know because I'm like, oh, my gosh, my mom is the most beautiful woman. She is pretty woman. And all of my teachers are like, mm-hmm. Yes, that's very cool, Reese. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I didn't find out till I was like 13. But yes, of course, that is not like a moment of ultimate shame for me. It's more of a right. funny story. It is a anything. funny story, yeah. And what you're talking about is different. Mm-hmm. Um, but encouraging questioning. And I think to tie it back to big picture, I'm laughing at myself. But how do you make meaning if you're not questioning? Right. Well, okay, and, and the questioning leads to growth. Yes. And we, we always... Even if you end up with the same answer. You, you always need to be growing and moving forward and learning. And um, so, so many things are going through my brain right now, but uh, to tie it back into where I'm at right now. Um, so, I teach uh, dance and... Um, I was teaching dance for a woman that was 15 years younger than me, which, you know, but now I'm teaching dance for uh, Bailey, who is your age, mm-hmm. which is amazing. Love it. Love being able to support her. And she's wonderful. She is. Um, but I love being able to teach with younger people. So... I'm constantly learning too. Right. Uh, I don't teach dance today the way I did when I was 21. Nor should you. No. It would be wrong. And right. And um, I have to constantly be learning and brushing up in choreography. And really odd that I teach hip hop, but I do. <laughs> um, and, and so you know, you got to stretch yourself and learn um, new things all the time and not be afraid of it. But just really, I think, and be okay with looking silly. I was about to say, I think there's this fear of not knowing the answer, and that's why curiosity can be shut down with judgment, because seeing someone else's curiosity is almost a reminder of everything that you don't know, too. Mm-hmm. And I think that a really powerful shift, at least for me, that happened, like, I don't remember when, but I remember going from this place of like, oh my gosh, I need people to think that I know everything all the time to I'm really excited when I realize I don't know the answer to that because that means I get to learn something new and it could change everything. Well, and, and being a parent, exciting. being a parent was really cool because I got to learn a lot of things as y'all were learning them. Yeah. Right. Well, and that's something I share with people all the time about our relationship and my relationship with God too is that I think it's the coolest thing in the world that 
15 years ago, mm -hmm. we would have conversations about things that I was still learning about and y'all were still learning about. And then five years ago, like, I was first really getting into, like, social justice and um, understanding what different, like, political systems and economic systems really meant. And then we would talk about it and seeing that the conversations we had and the information that I was bringing to the table, you and dad were also listening to mm -hmm. and not taking for granted and taking this as a learning opportunity. Um, not only does it make a kid feel really valued and empowered by their parents, that mm -hmm. they see you as an autonomous individual who's bringing something to the table, treating you like a peer, right? Like that's really cool, but it also then empowers you to go out and realize it like seeing you and dad continue to change. Mm -hmm. Like I think it's the easiest for me to see it and the things that we talk about. And then I realized like a year later, I'm like, Oh, mom's opinion on that has changed. Mm -hmm. That's really cool <clears throat> right. that I might've had something to do with that, but also just seeing y'all change in general. Mm -hmm. I'm like, here are two people that want to keep growing, want to keep leveling up, want to be the best version of themselves that are modeling what that looks like for a kid who wants to do that too. Right. That like, at no moment am I going to go home and see my parents done. <laughs> no, exactly. no, it's true. Like, that's right? a laughable thought for me to think of either one of you just like, yeah, we did it. Like, th that would never happen, but I don't think that everyone has that model in their parents. That's, yeah. So. Well, and yeah. those are, I, I think, for friends, too. Um, you've got to choose friends that want the best in you that want to see you happy and well, that help you grow help you grow encourage your growth right and that you can help them grow i think the challenge you it's yeah. it's awesome to have friends that hold you accountable yeah yeah my my therapist always says you want a friend that isn't afraid to call you an asshole so yeah you're being an asshole your friend should be able to say you're being an asshole yes um because that's what a real friend would do it, if if your friend can't call you an asshole, they're not your friend. Yeah. I, and I know that sounds... It sounds counterintuitive, it, it but does, it's true. But if you can't hear your friend call you an asshole, then you're not a friend either. Because if it's someone you know and love dearly, right. it should be the easiest to hear from them. But at the same time... Maybe it's the hardest to hear. Well, I was going to say, maybe you're not being an asshole. But you can have the conversation. If it's someone you trust, you can have the conversation. Right. You should be able to say, this is what I'm thinking right now. Yeah. I think you may be off base. And um, you can have the conversation. We'll grow together in that conversation. Mm -hmm. So I also want to talk about, in terms of you having continually grown, still grow, helping other people grow, staying curious. Um, you don't identify as Christian anymore. And that's... No. <laughs> no. And that's a relatively new thing. And I don't know how often you... So I remember us having the conversation about you identifying as a Christian. Well, it's interesting because that for me is very much like... I don't really. However, I think by some people's definitions, 
they would consider me to be, but I think by other people's definitions, they would consider me a Satanist. So, so, I'm like, so I remember us having that conversation, right? right? And you said, I would consider myself a Christian. And I was like, well, based on the kind of Christian I was uh, 20 years ago, you I would not be. consider you a Christian. Right. So based on that, um, I don't consider you a Christian. So I guess it depends on who's asking. Right. Right? Because um, I definitely believe in Jesus. Right? Well, and it's like, if that's the criteria, then I'm like, well, if you believe but, in But it's not that. To me, that is not the criteria. Which gets into the complex stuff. Right. So... Being raised in a Christian household Mm -hmm. um, where curiosity wasn't always encouraged, Mm -hmm. um, what has that journey been like for you? Because you still believe in a higher power, and I Mm -hmm. would still consider you a spiritual person, Mm -hmm. but I wouldn't consider you a religious person. Right. Um, So what's that journey been like? Um, So I think it's... The same thing in me that um, looks for teachers who, and wants to be a teacher that encourages growth and questioning and sounds like I'm a hippie dippy teacher, t- hippie dippy teacher. Y- you know I'm not. You know as a coach I'm pretty hardcore. Yeah, I'm like mega hardcore, and as a dance teacher, especially as my coach. <laughs> okay, yeah, well, and your brother would probably say that yeah. too. But I, I really am, and I'm a huge disciplinarian, yeah. and I'm pretty sure that doesn't come across in our conversation that they wouldn't say, Reese's mom was really, really strict. lays down like, the law. But, but at the same time, I always was very clear on expectations. Well, and, and I think there's a difference between being strict with manners and behavior Whereas you hear strict and you think constricting, mm-hmm. but actually I would define the way you were strict as providing safety mm-hmm. so that you can explore. Right. right? Like right. you need. Well, there's parameters you don't cross. Right. There's times need, and places for the questions. You need boundaries to right. be safe while you're exploring, especially as a kid, right? right? Like now it's very different in the sense that like, I can go and wander into a library and pull any book and, like, be fine. But I remember watching TV shows and you being like, yeah, we can absolutely watch these TV shows, but we are going to have a rule about it. The rule is, if you have any questions, you ask them and we talk about them. Mm -hmm. You're not going to go, like, try and figure it out on your own. We are going to talk about this, right? Right. Like, we're going to stay open about it. Whereas, and that was a hard and fast rule. It was a strict rule. Whereas I think another version of strict would be no. You are not allowed to watch this TV show. And I'm not. Right? <clears throat> that's not me at all. So that's just for clarity in terms of strictness. Right, I right. think that speaks to your strengths in encouraging curiosity. But, hardcore disciplinarian, what's your journey been like to are we no longer religious? Religious. Um, so, in line with the, the teaching thing and... Uh, The questioning, I think questioning is healthy and important. And part of my journey in being a Christian was definitely uh, being drawn to Jesus and his example. 
and the love and the acceptance. Mm-hmm. Um, but then seeing um, the walk. What is it? Okay, the, the same teacher that made the really dumb comment about the Simon and Garfunkel song <laughs> actually wrote something on the board one time, which was, your walk walks and your talk talks, but your walk talks more than your talk talks. That's that's kind of true. It is. Your yeah. walk talks more than your talk talks. Say it, that five times fast. Right, right. <laughs> but, but she wrote that, yeah. right? And it was so frustrating for me to see people's walk not uh, jibe with their talk. Yeah. And well, and also to see someone who wrote, well, I don't know this woman, but I can theorize that mm-hmm. this woman who wrote this on the board also maybe not have her walk correlate with her talk. talk right. And right. you're also saying that it should do that. It's like, right. yeah, well, cognitive and, dissonance on top of cognitive dissonance. And that was everywhere for me growing up yeah. was the people and, and the people that you see acting one way on Sunday and then a different way during the week. Right. And I, I'll i admit it, I'm a little legalistic. I'm kind of black and white at times. I, I really try not to be as much, but I, I, I'm self-aware about that. And it, it, it's hard, it was hard for me to make that match. And so that turned me off of church. Mm. Now, whenever, oh, I'm, didn't probably finish the story about the tithing thing, but at the end of me asking the questions about the tithing, she said, I think you just need to not come back. Mm. Because I was asking questions. I I don't think it was disrespectful. Maybe it was. I, I don't know. But she told me, a student in her Sunday school class, right. not to return to Sunday school. I think people who are afraid of questioning right. view it as disrespectful. Right. But it's like, it's not... So it's like, was it disrespectful to her? Maybe it was. Right. But that doesn't As an mean, adult looking back on it, I can definitely see it more objectively. But it's coming from a place of disrespect. Well, and that's not a teacher. An adult could feel disrespected for being made out to look... Foolish. Right. right. But it's like, well, that's not the intention It was not the intention. The question, right? Right. So... So that, I was asked not to come back. I don't really know why, but my mom was like, okay, we'll just not go back. So we actually stopped going to church, and uh, which is funny to think about because my mom is so involved in church now. Um, But when your dad and I were talking about getting married, it was important to me to find a home church and to kind of get reconnected to that because I felt like that was a good foundation for raising a family and that was a good way to start. So we get back involved into a Baptist church. Now we did visit different churches and we always, every time we chose a church and we only chose two churches, you know, the one that we joined then and then the one that you used to go to, um, totally based on the pastor's sermons, 100% based on the sermons because uh, the George, um, gosh, I can't remember his last name. His 
he was so smart, and his sermons were very, lots of different levels. Could start out basic, but he took it to very intellectual places, and your dad and I really enjoyed those sermons. Um, We didn't necessarily connect the best with um, the people in the Sunday school class. We really tried hard. Wasn't, you know, a couple of the people we actually did remain friends with, but it just wasn't. Not a love match. No, and then when we moved to a different town, we found another church. Totally joined that because of the pastor. Mm -hmm. So excellent, and I can still remember specific um, sermons he gave because they were some of the ones he gave. Well, and even looking back on stuff like that, I'm like, even now, mm-hmm. for someone who's not a Christian, I will go listen to certain sermons, right. and it's it feels like almost like a literature class where you're still gleaning messages and themes from a text. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean you have to agree with the text or the author mm-hmm. or anything like that. We can still have an intelligent and informed discussion. Well, about I think you and I would believe. Agree in this that the values in the New Testament are if they boil down to loving everyone as yourself, hey, I'm all there for it. Well, treating people the way you want to be treated, the golden rule. How many times have you? I, I say that at least once a week while I'm teaching. If you treat others the way you want to be treated, is that the way you would like to be treated? Yeah. And, um, well, I remember, I forget what, because of my Christian schools that I went to, which was also a part of me, like, deconstructing from the Christian thing, too. Same, But, um, I studied the Bible extensively, because we were required to go to Bible class. Right. You and your brother know the Bible. For, like, someone who's not Christian, I know the Bible very well. (laughs) No, but you do. Um, but, so there's some passage or verse that's essentially like if you're loving other people the best you can and you're loving yourself the best you can and you're loving God the best you can you're gonna be okay you're okay and I'm like why do we need all of these thousands of other words (laughs) right (laughs) that's all we need so I, I think a lot so any organization with people, God, right? but yeah. any organization with people is going to be flawed. Period. Period. And um, I think doing the best we can and loving each other is the crux of it. Yeah. And ego, unfortunately, plays into so much. Well, and, and I then think that it does get complicated when really, really nice and wonderful messages are housed within a text that carries other very problematic things, right? Yes, but we're, um, egos, no, that's okay. Egos go into it and then, um, people lose sight of why we're here. Mm -hmm. Power type stuff happens and the thing that has been the bane of my existence, the clicks where, uh, People are not accepted or they're excluded. Well, and what what does exclusion preach except a lack of curiosity about someone else? Right. Inclusion is someone is saying 
I maybe don't understand you. I definitely don't understand you because you are not me. We have a different experience. And I don't even want to try to accept you. And I'm not going to try. Curiosity, questioning says, I want to hear your story. Right. I want to know who you are. And I'm gonna. I, I'm never gonna understand it the way you understand your experience. Or if, if you don't know. know someone, or if they're a little bit different, and we're all a little bit different, right? Spoken just Speak like someone yourself. that is really different. I mean, no, but seriously, <laughs> I am very normal <laughs> and very like everyone else. Right. But you know, uh, she pushes me. Therefore, I don't want to be around her. And, and I'm not saying that I push people, and that's why people don't want to be around me. Although that could be. 100% true. Um, the clicks are hurtful. Yeah. And the, the church seems to have been um, such a breeding ground for that. and Which is interesting. Yes, right? it is. It's like, what about that is leading to these other things? And just closed cell organizations yeah. that shut other people out. And so, so that's another... Um, of, this. of it that that just turns me off to church um but uh so you said my journey toward all this mm-hmm. but in addition to that you know uh learning about all the religions reading books about abraham and how you know he was the foundation for the three main religions out there today and how they're all very 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 similar Yet they fight each other, and it it does not make any sense. And hearing some Christian people say just really ignorant things, and I know they don't represent all Christian people, but saying, well, people that have never even met, you know, there's no way Christ was ever on this island, yet somehow the picture of Christ showed, and they're Christians even though they've never read the Bible and missionaries like okay that's just weird ass shit no no i don't even know what you're talking about but that does sound like some weird ass shit (laughs) i mean you know like uh it it never made sense to me that if you're not a christian you're not going to go to heaven and then my question is well what if people have never been taught about christ yeah it's not their fault (laughs) Excuse me, right. this rule seems unfair. Right. <laughs> and then they'll say, I, this was the answer to that question to me once. And it was, there are people that live. That just came to understand Christianity? Because, yes, maybe the that picture is- of Christ appeared on the toast. I mean, but seriously, on a rock. And they received... I'm like, okay, that sounds like a prophet or something. Which and also, how does a picture? Whoa! How would so they even know that was? There. Yeah, I know. Does Jesus? And how would they know what Jesus preached? But okay, and I, that's totally tangential. Yeah. I know it is. But there's a lot of things like this that exemplify the difficulties you have with and people the coming religion. up with answers to questions Goes because back. the questions are uncomfortable for them. And so they create answers that make no sense. The discomfort of not knowing and the discomfort of someone else questioning or you having to question it all. Right. To that, right? And so I, I don't I don't appreciate that. <laughs> I don't appreciate <laughs> so, that. So that's part you of it. You know what? I don't care for that <laughs> very much. <laughs> so, so I don't. Right. 
Um, so, so that, not so, to say that it's wrong. And you know, some of my best friends are very right. religious. But theoretically, you could still hold the belief in all of that and still define yourself as a Christian. Yeah, you could. And there so are people. Why, why have you chosen not to? Uh, I just think, in, in the way I understand it, that you have to believe that Jesus Christ is the one and only Son of God that was sent to this earth to uh, die on the cross for our sins so that we may have eternal life. Right. And I don't think he's the the way. Capital T, capital W. I think there are other ways. At the end of the day, I think there are other ways. Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily believe in heaven either. I, I don't think that there is heaven. You don't think there's a golden gate? <laughs> well, there's pearls involved. There's no, definitely I, <laughs> pearls, though. No, so, no, I don't. I, and I, But I do believe we all go to the same place. Yeah. Um, but I, I wouldn't call it heaven. Yeah. I do think we're all interconnected. And I think that's beautiful. And I think if more people saw each other in the New Testament, Jesus definitely preaches this. We are brothers and sisters. Well, and that was my whole thing with um, people like, well, you don't believe Jesus is the Son of God? I'm like, no, I believe he's the Son of God. I also believe that I'm the daughter of God and that you're the son of <laughs> right, a higher right. power and that they're the child of a higher power. <laughs> so I also like, believe so. there's all kinds of scrolls that didn't make it into the New Testament right. because there were a bunch of men that decided those didn't belong. The old white men and the winners that won history and got to write it didn't do the best job. <laughs> right, right. It's not representative. Right. Um, yeah, but I love the what you ended on being we're all interconnected mm -hmm. at the end of the day. Whatever you want to call that, I mean, I, I usually call it the universe sure. or our interconnectedness. Cause I think or energy, but or we're, energy. we're all part I, of it. Right, I think that's the most succinct, and that feels like the best language to me. Mm -hmm. um, I think you can also call it God. I would call it God, but I think that that carries a lot of other meaning with it that other people can project onto it. So, I don't know, but whatever you want to call it, I think that's a really lovely note to end on, that we're all interconnected. And that's beautiful. And the more we can recognize the bits of ourselves in each other and the bits of the other in us, the better people we are. Mm -hmm. So don't be afraid of what's that. different. Yeah. We're questioning or learning about the differences. Final two questions. Mm -hmm. One, in light of our conversation, did we miss anything? Is there anything else you want to clarify? Anything else you want to throw out there? Anything else? you would like to add or say? I don't think so. Sick. <laughs> right, right. I, I, I do think, um, so some people definitely are like, that's a weird person, Paige. Why aren't you friends with that person? And it, it's just... Wait, 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 wait. But, but it just goes wait, back wait. to... <laughs> no, 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 no. Who are you talking about that people think you're a weird person? No. That, that I like weird people. Oh, I like okay, different okay, people. Okay, okay. I was confused and, and by And some story. other people will say, I don't know why you talk to him. Or it's like, because I really think he's kind. I, I, 
and interesting. Yes. And pushes we, me. We have good conversation. And I really love to have good conversation. Uh, I don't like rehashing the same old conversation over and over. That, to me, sucks the life out of me. <laughs> so I, I just think pushing yourself. Um, talk to the people that make you uncomfortable. Mm. Not in not in that, that way. way. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know what I mean. It's like Yeah, every person I invite on the podcast actually makes me deeply uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Especially your father. Especially. <laughs> it goes him, then you. <laughs> right, right. But uh, I think um, I just really enjoy talking because you connect in that whole interconnectedness. It comes out. You can feel it. You can feel it in almost anybody if you give it a chance. What if God was? <laughs> but you, you do. No, no. You and I'm being feel silly it. now. I'm, no. My energy shifts it into silly. Oh, and I'm okay. But 100%. Yeah. And I think that there is a lot in Christianity that does talk about that stuff, but it gets covered up and clouded or thrown out or problematized by so many other Things. I need to wear makeup for my husband kind of thing. The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, like, season one first scene, right? Where if you don't know it, I'm sure you can find just that scene on YouTube where mm-hmm. um, I, I, I would type in Marvelous Mrs. Maisel getting ready in the morning, and it will show you the scene that we're talking about. But everything she does is to perfect it for her husband. And, it's, and not that that, there's nothing wrong with that if, if that's, I don't know if it's for you and you love to do yourself up and put on your face and do your hair and your clothes. Well, anyone's allowed to make any decision they want. I think it turns bad when you don't have all the information. Mm-hmm. And I think nine times out of ten, when you see someone doing something that feels disrespectful to themselves, it's because they don't have all the information. Well, and it goes back to when you asked me um, about, well, making meaning, right? How do you find meaning? How do you know what your passion is? How, is your passion about makeup? There, there really are people. Yeah. I mean, I don't have to convince your listeners right. that that is a passion for some people. Absolutely. But that scene was not about right. feeling good about yourself. I'm just trying to make it clear. Body. I, I yes. have nothing against... Yes, no, that, that right. scene was very much about being visually pleasing to your husband. Right. Which it's like... There's time and a place, but... Well, and if it makes you feel good to be wanted by your partner, of course, right? right? But it's it's all shelled within context. And I think right. that the context around, like we talked about, some principles that are in Christianity are really lovely. Mm-hmm. But they are contextualized with some really ugly things. Um, that can hurt that, which is unfortunate and sad. And I think that that could, that's true of all religions. Most, if not all organized religions have done atrocious things in the name of holiness. And and most of that stuff's not explicitly written in their scripture, in their holy books. I mean, it's... A lot of it is developed over time. Yeah, in culture. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And is societal. So, Mm -hmm. it's very complex. Mm -hmm. Last question. Mm -hmm. What's one word that describes how you feel right now? Um, <gasps> now I was just looking at, you wrote down the word judgment. And, and um, all caps. <laughs> <laughs> but because we were talking about I, judgment I shutting down the 
dumb question. Right, I know, and you and you write yourself notes, but one word that describes judgment (laughs) is how I'm feeling right now. Um, You know what would actually be so funny if I asked someone that question, they're like, "Judged." I'm actually feeling very judged. (laughs) You know, you did it. You know what? Hate. Uh, right. I don't know. You know, I always love spending time with you. Um, (laughs) don't think about it too hard. No, I know. I I guess I'm just kind of relieved that it's over. (laughs) (laughs) My mama. Well, thank you for, I think relief is a great one. I think someone else has said relief before too, where it's kind of like, it can be really nerve-wracking, but also feels freeing to talk about it in a way that's so open that is also, like, very vulnerable. It's a really vulnerable thing. It is. And, however, you know, you tell yourself, it's today. Right now. It's not yeah. It's not tomorrow. It's not next week. It's like, this is just what I said in this moment. Yeah. So, um... Well, and I think that's part of the beauty of it, is that it is just capturing... This moment we have together. Right. Just this moment. And uh, everyone else you've interviewed on podcasts, uh, you could have a similar conversation that would take a completely different tack. Exactly. So that that's kind of beautiful to think about it. That That's just this moment in time between the two of us. Which I think, I don't know if I've ever said this on a podcast, but it is absolutely part of the design of the podcast right. that yes we're talking about making meaning but for me doing not doing the podcast but talking about making meaning with people I love mm-hmm. this is an exercise in yeah, making meaning mm-hmm. while we're talking about that and that's right. absolutely in the design of the podcast and right. why I think it's also so interesting to put it out for an audience because I think it changes the meaning when it's listened to or when it's watched right mm-hmm. that also adjusts it when it's interacted with so I think you're spot on and I think relief is a great word and thank you my lovely mama for doing this you're welcome love you Thank you all so much for being here today and a big thank you to my wonderful mama for taking the time and space and energy to do this with me. The fact that both of my parents have been on my podcast and they've been wonderful, lovely episodes just makes me feel so grateful to have parents that are supportive of my work. I feel so incredibly lucky to have them. I would love for you to be a part of this conversation. If you have any thoughts about this, comment them down below or head over to Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, LinkedIn, and threads all at the Cohere Collective to comment your thoughts about this episode. You want to hear even more about today's episode? Head on over to thecoherecollective.com and subscribe to our newsletter. A blog is coming out this Friday that discusses this episode more in depth and sharing the pod is a great way to start conversations with people in your life. So I think that that could be a cool thing to do. Share this with your mom or your daughter or your family. A big thank you to Tristan Morgan for making Meanings theme music. You can find him on Instagram at Tristan Morgan. And a big thank you to Nicole Ostriker for making Meanings art and podcast cover. You can find her on Instagram at Nicole O Creates and Nicole O Design. Right now, I am feeling 
a little hurried. The low battery light came on, so if you've seen me glancing over, I'm looking to see if my recording is shut off or not. So I'm trying to get this done before the battery goes out. Um, but also thankful. It's a Saturday morning. I've had a good morning. You know what? I'm feeling hurried, but also peaceful. Isn't that a weird dichotomy? Maybe something to explore in a future episode. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here, and I hope you feel like you are living more coherently. Until next time, love.